What's up, guys? Welcome into the Fireside Bears podcast brought to you by Empire Sports Media. You know me, your host, Usaid Kosher. You can follow me on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram at Usaid Kosher. You can follow my co-host, Joe Herf, on Twitter at Joseph Herf NFL. Sam's in Cleveland this week because the North Central College Redbirds or Cardinals, whatever their mascot is, I believe. Pretty sure they're interchangeable. Um, they are playing in the NCAA National Men's Lacrosse Tournament. I see Joe shaking his head simply because two things. Number one, there was no fancy intro this time. Number two, I got the mascots mixed up. And the second one is probably the bigger concern because we have a person that's a cardinal but also a redbird. Okay, And there's a former UIC alum, which is me on here. But you know us, guys. Make sure you're following Fireside Bears on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, TikTok and Instagram at Fireside Bears. Make sure you are keeping up to date with everything Bears that we've got going on here. Our NFL Draft Reactions episode is up on YouTube. Go check that out. Joe, we're entering the slower parts of the NFL offseason, but we're going to have some Justin Fields talk from Luke Getze, obviously. Dan Orlovsky's narrative. We're going to break that down. We got some UDFAs to keep an eye on. But first things first, how you doing? Um, I'm good work usual you know um i today I, I hurt my pinky so uh for those of you who don't know or aren't regular listeners i coach wrestling tuesday nights and right before this jam my pinky um it was in very odd shape and i had somebody yank it back in so i'm in a little bit of pain right now but uh we're here we're ready to talk some football that was a little good start uh you know my little in my break it's basically my break between work and this is wrestling so i kind of easy know to relax Hang out. No, I had uh, I had to have somebody pull it back in, came home, and been icing it. So hopefully this is a little better than uh than that to kind of improve my day. But we'll see. Yeah. Anyways, we're gonna get right into it because I think over the weekend there was a lot of debate on Bears Twitter. I mean, let's make no mistake. There's always debates that are going down on Bears Twitter, but anytime it's one of the national media guys chiming in everyone's going at each other's throats. And, you know, one of the big narratives that kind of came out over the weekend that Bears fans, again, got so heated discussing was just the fact that Dan Orlovsky, ESPN analyst, specifically said Justin Fields has pretty much the worst situation compared to any of the other four rookie quarterbacks that were drafted, or I should say any of the other four quarterbacks that were drafted in 2021. And, you know, Joe, I'm going to roll it to you on this one. I mean, what's up with this narrative? And then break it down. Is Dan Orlovsky right or wrong in this situation here? I think if you take it the whole picture of like just, I guess, players, I would say, yeah, I I mean, maybe like, I think if you look at the Jaguars, they have a, a decent O line. They bought some players. They spent. They've re-signed players. They drafted two, but then they overspent on a lot of wide receivers. And there's not a single wide receiver that entire roster that's better than Darnell Mooney. So they basically, it's basically kind of what you'd rather have. Would you rather have one, like the best receiver of that group, and then a mediocre receiver, or just four mediocre wide receivers that are all fighting for targets and I personally take the Bears' weapons over the Jaguars pretty easily. I mean, their best weapon is Marvin Jones, who plays 10 games a year. And then after that, they overpaid for um, Christian Kirk, have LaVisca Chenault, overpaid for Zay Jones. Like, that's just – nobody there's a world beer. They don't have, like, an Allen Robinson. They don't have a Darnell Mooney. They don't have, like, a high-level wide receiver on that team. And the Patriots, the people kind of said that, too. The only thing I would say different about the Patriots is that 
they did lose their offensive coordinator, and that did kind of hurt probably Mac Jones a lot. They might be changing the offense a bit there. But he does have two very good tight ends, Jonas Smith and Hunter Henry. They brought in Devontae Parker again, a guy who can only play about 10 games a year. And I like Jacoby Myers a lot. He's no Darnell Mooney, but I think he's a very solid two. So I think that scenario is fine. Again, it, it kind of that's kind of what they're ignoring when they talk about that is they're ignoring that we, Fields didn't look good under Matt Nagy. Who did, though? I mean, literally nobody. Fields looked – or not Fields. Trubisky looked okay under Nagy. That's about it. And now we have Getsy coming in with a brand-new scheme that's going to cater to him. So now, I mean, you're, you're talking about Doug Peterson's running the offense for Trevor Lawrence. Would you rather have Doug Peterson? Again, sure, he won a Super Bowl, but how much of a part was he in that, really? Would you rather have Doug Peterson running your offense? Or would you rather have Luke Getsky? Personally, I'd rather have Getsky. Nobody has film on him yet. He's going to cater it to what's going to work in Chicago. Or would you rather have – I don't even know who the Patriots hired as the new offensive coordinator, honestly. I probably should have looked it up before starting this, but – is he going to run McDaniel's offense? Is he going to run a brand new one? Again, a lot of uncertainty there. I think the coach is arguably one of the most important parts of that entire thing for a young guy. And then the Jets, they overspent. They, I mean, they bought a ton of people for Zach Wilson. Good for him. If he doesn't do well, it is his fault now. Um, and who am, I, who am I missing as the other quarterback? I can't even think of. Oh, Trey, Trey Lance. Lance. I, if he even plays, like, again, he's supposed to be the starter, but Jimmy G's still there. And. Again, he's got the best situation of all. He's got a good line. He's got the best, one of the best offensive minds in football and good wide receivers. He, he, he's in a league of his own when it comes to talent around him. Yeah, I mean, so the Patriots don't have a set offensive coordinator just because they're senior football advisors slash offensive assistants, actually, Matt, Patricia. But I think, look, there's – and again, uh, I'm going to fully disclose this is there were – when you go back to the 2021 NFL pre-draft process, so going back basically about 13, 14 months at this point, Dan Orlovsky was one of the people on ESPN that was actively defending and breaking down Justin Fields. And again, you know, Dan and I went back and forth on Twitter about it. We actually talked very directly in the DMs too about just what was happening. So I've got that cool little connection right there. But I think, you know, what matters is this, is that he's never really come out as a guy who's ready to bash fields i think that he's just somebody who has really good analysis being someone that's played the game i mean we have to understand something is that the hate that airs fans have for a guy like dan orlovsky is in a way it just makes absolutely zero sense the reason being is because remember in 2019 and 2020 when this team especially in 2020 when this team was winning five of its six first games and every you know the bears were five and one and the national media was constantly bashing and berating the bears and then that six game losing happened you know who was the one person who defended the bears quarterbacks and specifically mitch trubisky and said no matt nagy's the real issue it was Dan Orlovsky, okay, and Rex Ryan played a part in it as well. Now, I'm not saying that those guys are by any means truthers, but the major consensus at ESPN, especially when it comes to these guys like Orlovsky, Rex Ryan, Ryan Clark's another one who came out after that Week 3 2021 Browns game and pretty much said, hey, I'm so sorry, Mr. Trubisky. This was actually all Matt Nagy's fault, and we saw it with Fields. So the point I'm making more so is just the fact that, you know, I think, in a sense, Dan is right here because, I mean, you look at the Bears roster and you talk about just overall offensive situation. Okay, look, do the Bears have 
some pieces. Yeah, Darnell Mooney, I think, is highly productive. I think that Khalil Herbert and David Montgomery are two players that, especially Montgomery being a do-it-all back, I think he can easily get 2,000 yards a season from scrimmage. But unfortunately, he's had to play in front of a bad offensive line. You know, you look at the Bears all line this year. Okay, cool, they drafted four guys. We went out and brought in Lucas Patrick, Dakota Dozier. You know, Cody Whitehair still a question. The organization really isn't sure what to make of a guy like a Tevin Jenkins or a Larry Borum. Obviously, that's a regime change. And then you look at the tight end position. Okay, cool. There is some potential there. But I think what matters at the end of the day is did the Bears legitimately do enough to help Fields? They did enough to get by, but it's not like this team went ahead and significantly rebuilt or reshaped the offense. And I know a lot of Bears fans are like, well, it's year one of a new regime, blah, blah, blah. But I also think that at the end of the day here, something has to give is that the Bears, so there were 10 head coaching hires this offseason, including Chicago. But unfortunately, the Bears are not in the same situation and same boat that the other nine teams are like you look at Miami and I think going into the 2023 draft, they have multiple first round picks. So if Tua Tagovailoa doesn't show up in year three, Mike McDaniel is going to be looking for his replacement. You know, you look at a team like the Raiders. Okay, cool. They went ahead and they hired Josh McDaniels, but ultimately, you know, Derek Carr, it's not like he's supposedly the future. And Oh, I'm sorry in Las Vegas, but they have committed to him. And then you look at a team like the 49ers, Okay, cool. They didn't hire a new head coach, but ultimately, what did they do? They still have Trey Lance waiting in the wings because nobody is willing to go ahead and to take on, um, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo. You look at the Broncos. They're a team that I think has a more solid roster and a better core around their quarterback than the Bears do just because Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, you know, their running game, lots of potential there. Javante Williams, a guy I really like as a running back, but they went out and they traded for Russell Wilson. Hopefully puts it all together. They don't have a good defense. I think for the Bears this year, the situation around fields is good, but it's not necessarily a situation that dictates, okay, he's legitimately ready to take that second-year jump. And last point I'm going to make is this is something the Bears have constantly struggled with. It was an issue under Jay Cutler. It was an issue under Matt Nagy. It was and now it's going to be an issue under fields too, is just the fact that, you know, this team cannot unfortunately keep the same offensive nucleus. And what I mean by that is quarterback coach, you know, offensive coordinator. They can't keep it intact for more than three years. I mean, Jay had three or four offensive coordinators in his eight years here. And I think he had three in the first, basically four seasons. Okay. With Mike Tice, Mike Martz, you know, I think Pep Hamilton was his quarterback's coach for a year or two, whatever. Trestman had Aaron Cromer, but Aaron Cromer was a complete mess. You look at Matt Nagy, who basically after 2019 fired, I forgot the offensive coordinator. Well, it was Mark Helfrich, who was the offensive coordinator. Basically went out and fired him to bring in Bill Lazor and John DiFilippo. That didn't necessarily work. And then last year, what happened is Justin is working with DiFilippo, Bill Lazor, and Matt Nagy. And boom, all of a sudden, it's a year later, they're hitting a calendar reset. So, And they're hitting the reset button. And so I think the point I'm making more so is that Orlovsky is a bit right here, but you could also argue he's wrong too because, again, the playmakers, the Bears have, have some talent potential. Finally, to wrap up my rant, I will say this, is that anytime the national media says something about the Bears, people get absolutely triggered triggered when in reality the national media tends to be right about 90 percent of the time yeah and again 
the national media most of the time says something to start a debate, to get interactions. That's their job. Their job is to create content on their website, on their Twitter account, create interactions. So they will say things that will trigger people. They're going to target those big fan bases. So like, I didn't know what Dan Orlowski said for probably about two days because I just don't really follow along the big name national media. And Orlowski, I respect his opinion sometimes, but there are a lot of times where he will say one thing, completely deny it, and then completely change his mind and act like he had false data and blame others, but he'll never own up to it. Like, like when he said that Justin Fields wasn't a hard worker before the draft, and then after a while it came out, you're wrong, you're, you're really lying. And then he said, oh, I had a false source. No, dude, you you just probably came up with a with your own little idea. And you probably just put it out there for the interactions. And they do that. And, again, we won't know who has the best situation until halfway through the season, probably at least. Like, it's a brand offensive coordinator here. A lot of new weapons in place. A lot of new moving pieces. There's going to be a lot of change here. We have no idea what the ceiling is of some of these players. We have no idea. Mooney can go 1,400 yards. Or you can go for 700. We have no idea what's going to happen this year. No clue. Yeah, I will say regarding the narrative that he pushed out about Justin not being a hard worker, I remember him specifically going ahead and clarifying that in like a two-minute video on Twitter. And pretty much what he says is, hey, listen, you know, it came out in a way that it necessarily wasn't intended to. But this is stuff that I was presenting that I was hearing from other people who had just put rumors out there to hurt Justin's draft stock. And mind you, that whole stuff was before any of the controversy came out about the epilepsy issues that Justin had. But, you know, moving on from the Orlovsky narrative here, I mean, Luke Getze, we had a chance to hear him speak for, I believe it was the second time this offseason, first time since getting hired. And one of the things he touched on is just the fact that, hey, Justin's an incredibly hard worker. You know, we've been on the same page. He's doing really well. So I think, you know, what that means to me is that this is a offensive coordinator who, again, it's the first time that I can remember that the keys to the offense for the Bears are in the hands of the offensive coordinator. You know, going back to the Lovey Smith days, that you're basically going to end the Adam Gase days too, by the way. But, you know, I think what you're going to see here is with Getty and Fields, they're going to be on the same page. But them being on the same page in meeting rooms and installs is great and all. But I think that they have to be on the same page when it comes to actually producing results on the field during game day because you can do great in practice, but it may not translate over to games. But I still think that, you know, Getsy's comments on fields are certainly something that do provide a lot of fans hope for the future because, again, this team is just so starved right now for not even just elite quarterback play, but just good, consistent QB play. Yeah, I again, most of it's coach speak and – you like to see it, of course. I mean, again, I, I love to see the comments about Fields. I think I think everything he's saying is true. I don't think anything he's saying is wrong. The more important thing I thought of Gessie's press conference was he talked about how this was – he said, in quotes, this is our offense. And to hear that from an offensive coordinator slash head coach that's running one side of the ball, love to hear it. Again, with Matt Nagy, we heard all his cliche things, all his dumb things that everything was on the table, blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, he called the show. It was his scheme. He called curls every five, every every play basically, and the offense sucked. And he would 
throw people under the bus, use scapegoats. Getsky is now saying that if something isn't working, we're going to transition and we're going to get as a team together and we're going to figure out why it's not working and we're going to improve on that. Like, again, just saying it's our offense is so absolutely refreshing and it's going to help Fields immensely because, again, this is our offense. When he says that, that means he's going to play to Fields' ability. He's going to play to Mooney's ability, Velas Jones, Byron Pringle. Every player on the offensive roster is going to be used correctly to their ability for the sake of their offense. And if somebody isn't being used correctly, they're going to figure out why and they're going to correct it. Or they're going to put somebody in that fits the scheme a little better and can play at a higher level. They're not just going to settle in for a Rashad Coward for six games and saying, you know, he doesn't really fit this, but we like him. He's a good guy. You know, he, he he's learning. So we'll throw him in there for six games, see what happens. No, they're going to correct issues right away and they're going to fix them. And because they want this office to succeed, they're not trying to push their – they're not trying to push what we always said, talking about the Bears' offense with Nagy. They're not going to put the square pegs in the circular holes. They're going to make everything fit and work correctly and go smoothly. And it's going to be good to see. And, again, we're not going to know until, like, week eight, like I said, or, like, about halfway – maybe halfway through the season, maybe a full season. But just those comments alone is showing that he's probably taking from all the great minds around him specifically Tolbert, one of the wide receiver coaches who I absolutely love, who's been in the league for years. He's getting a lot of good insight from a lot of these good coaches that it's going to help the offense a ton. And it's going to improve all the groups specifically, specifically quarterback, offensive line, especially because Nagy did not help them at all. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's something really to be said here for Luke Getz's comments is just the fact that when he talked about the versatility component and just how every player is versatile, I know that there's some talk about what Cole Komet's able to do as well, just from screenshots that I saw floating around on Twitter. But the versatility component in this offense is so important because you need versatile. And again, I'm not that high on the Vila Jones pick. But I think that if the production translates well onto the field and the fit is ideal in the offense, you go with that. Because, again, you know, most Bears fans, I think, really talk themselves into guys like David Bell. With a player like Avilas Jones Jr., you know, you're getting someone, okay, who's a bit older than a lot of these other rookies. I mean, for crying out loud, Calvin Ridley, I think, was 24 or 25 when he came into the league himself because he graduated high school, I think, a year too late. But anyway... The point I'm making more so is that Getsy's comments on fields are certainly eye-opening and noteworthy because I think what you're seeing here is finally, 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 the Bears are playing with a cohesive unit. Ultimately, I think what it comes down to more than anything is just the fact that for a guy like Fields, right? How do you get the most out of him? Okay. But then also, how do you put the other 10 players on offense in a position to succeed? And I think that when you look at some of the Bears additions this year, I know that our buddy Illwill79 on Twitter, Three Kings of the Midway podcast, has been breaking some of the stuff down, posting screenshots from Bobby Peters' book that he's reading. But I think just looking at the Packers offense over the last couple of years, looking at the uh, 49ers offense as well. What you're seeing more than anything is the fact that you need to have a really good tight end. You need to have that wide receiver who's versatile. I think that Cole Komet's lack of reps during the first half of 2020 and then just the inconsistent QB play in 2021 cycling through three starting quarterbacks really hurt his kind of development. I think that when you look at a player like a Khalil Herbert, He's not the best receiving option, but he's certainly a hard runner. And I think he's 
a better fit in an outside zone scheme than he is in the inside zone scheme that Matt Nagy was running. And then you obviously look at guys like Tristan Ebner, who, again, I'm incredibly high on. You look at this offensive line. I mean, a lot of that is still to be determined. But I think that overall for the Bears, what Getsy's trying to do here is just to say, okay, how do you build this offense around the 11 starters plus the second and third string guys rather than the, um, you know, quarterback alone? Yeah, again, you kind of hit it on the head. I I liked what Ill Will was sharing on, on Twitter with the playbooks and stuff. It was really cool to see those route concepts, and it was crazy. I really didn't see a lot of curls. Saw a lot of crossing routes, which we've been screaming, begging the Bears running for years. And with Mooney and Pringle, those routes are going to be beautiful for them. Those two those two have the downfield speed. Those two are going to cross, and they're going to get open, and they're going to create that separation. I mean, even with Mooney running those short curls, he was seventh overall in football in total separation per route. That's pretty crazy. He's... Again, he's he's a stud, and he's going to be shown really well in this offense. I like that you brought up Cole Komet because Packers offense, again, Aaron Rodgers is a little different because he can do whatever he wants and he'll be successful, but they didn't really have a tight end last year. But when Robert Tunyon was playing a full season for them, he was pretty nearly unstoppable, and that's just an undrafted free agent tight end. Again, I love Tunyon, but I think he's a really talented player and a really good receiving threat. But imagine Cole Komet getting that kind of attention that – Tunyon's getting and getting that kind of looks that he's getting. He's going to be an absolute threat this year if he's using that similar role or in like a George Kittle type role in San Francisco. Yeah, you know, I think, look, the tight end position, and I understand there's potential there, but I don't think that, you know, some of the like, it's hard for me to say this because I see the potential there. But then I also do want to add this on is that, you know, a guy like a George Kittle, I think, is certainly the ideal fit in this offense. OK, in terms of the tight end position, you have a player that's a really good route runner, a player that's really physical, but also has the breakaway speed needed to really take the top off of defenses. OK, now Cole Komet, you know, some of these other tight ends are not necessarily as dynamic or as fast. But I think that the Bears can certainly make this work. And I think one thing to understand is that. You know, when you look at the 49ers offense is that George Kittle was the de facto security blanket, I think, for Jimmy G more than even Debo Samuel was. It wasn't until Debo Samuel came around that that Shanahan offense really kind of found its second serious playmaker outside of obviously the tight end and the running game. And then you look up in Green Bay. I mean, what was happening with the Packers offense is pretty much Matt. LaFleur running the show. And then it was Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers constantly connecting. I think Tunyon as an undrafted free agent, who again is one of your local guys, really took off as a result of guys such as Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon just being incorporated more and more. So I think, you know, the point I'm making is that you talk about Getsy's comments on fields, how it provides hope for the offseason as we, or sorry, for the season in the future. I think what we're going to need to see is basically you use the, Build a system around the 11 players, okay? And then you go ahead and what you do is this, is you put your QB in a position to succeed, but then you also lean, I think, in the Bears' case 
on what is your biggest strength, which is your running game. Because if I were to compare the Packers running game, the 49ers running game, as well as the Rams running game and the Bears running game, because again, they all pretty much run similar offenses. And certain thing to note here is that three of these four teams have been to the Super Bowl over the last couple of years. Zach Taylor and the Bengals come from the Sean McVay coaching tree, which traces its roots back to guys like Kyle Shanahan and Matt LaFleur. But also the bigger thing to understand is just the fact that this is an offense that's proven to work even if you don't necessarily have the horses as long as you have good coaching but for the Bears you know I mentioned the running game a moment ago I would say this that of those four teams I just mentioned the Bears have a running game that's just as good if not better than any of those teams So, you know, getting away from that, I mean, I think we all love hidden gems. We all love Cinderella stories. I mean, let's talk Braxton Jones, the offensive tackle. I believe he was a six-round pick. You know, he, I think, is a hidden gem so far, obviously from a smaller school. But, Joe, supposedly has a great minicamp. Is he a dark horse to start at left tackle week one? I don't think so. I mean, I, I love Braxton Jones. I think he developed into a solid lineman. I don't think he's really – I don't want to ca- count him out for left tackle, but the the size just really isn't there for him. I mean, he's only 6'5". Again, most of these left tackles you've seen are at least 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, um, I like his arm length. I think his arm length is solid. But, like, again, I don't really see it. You see a guy with Larry Borm already had some experience already there, and I, I just don't see him beating him out. I think he's going to be really good competition. He could develop into, like, a uh, – into a really good rotational lineman, possibly even a starter at guard. Even I, I like his like size and his measurables for guard. Again, he's a very good athlete, very fast and strong, but that size just really isn't there. I mean, we look at his relative athletic score. His relative athletic score was very good. He had an eight point four four, but the things that held him back, the big one that held him back was his height, only six foot five and or six foot five and point two. It's just not not cutting it for tackles these days. It's a little undersized, but again, hey, for all we know, he could be. He, I love the way that he talks. Like he he was talking about how the most important thing to him is just being coachable and just learning. And he's a very smart player. So I think if he learns the right things and becomes like, and he just becomes a moldable type of guy, and he just can fit into what they're trying to do in terms of an athletic left tackle who isn't big guy, he can fit it because Borm is a little bit of a bigger guy. And he has lost some weight, but he's not the athlete that Braxton Jones is. And maybe Borm shifts inside the guard. I have no idea. But I, I don't really see a case that he starts week one. Maybe he beats him out down the line if Borm's starting to struggle and he gets the play time, beats him out. But I, I just can't really see it, especially a rookie left tackle. A fifth-round rookie at left tackle is very hard to sell to your, uh, to your team in Justin Fields. Yeah, see, the last part of your statement I think is certainly intriguing because I think if you're the Bears locker room right now, and again, there's been a significant amount of roster turnover here, which we'll get to kind of towards the end of the show, but I think if you're this roster right now and you're this locker room, you're basically looking at this and saying, hey, who are the best guys to start? You know, just these guys such as Travis Gibson, Eddie Jackson, you know, a couple other guys that have significantly had to endure losing. You know, Cody White, here's another one. I just think what it comes down to ultimately is this. It's just like, hey, let's kind of stop talking about, you know, who the ideal fit should be. And let's just put the best players out there because we think those best players are, in fact, the ideal fits, which there's a big difference between what I just said. Because 
when a player's an ideal fit, people want him to start because you want that player to start because you may have a special affinity for him. When a player's an ideal fit because you think he's the best guy for the job, then you throw that guy out there. That's the difference as backwards as that sounds. But sometimes you have to go backwards to move forward. But anyway, I think with Braxton Jones, you know, being a fifth round pick, 168th overall from Southern Utah, you know, he's not the type of dynamic left tackle per se that you would expect compared to his other counterparts in this class. And that's totally fine. But I think that he can still develop into a good enough quality above average starter. The big thing to understand is that there's still a long way to go regarding the bears offensive line, because I think what's going to happen this year. And you know, it's interesting because so much of this, I don't think anyone's talking about it just goes down to what this team is going to do with Larry Borum and Tevin Jenkins. As crazy as it sounds, you look at a guy like a Larry Borum. Okay, he played left tackle last year. Wasn't the greatest, but was more than solid for a player who's basically asked to play left tackle on the fly. You look at Tevin Jenkins. Again, the Bears mishandled his injury, just like they mishandled the quarterback situation last year under Pace and Nagy. And then all of a sudden, Tevin played solid as a left tackle, but we still need a full season out of him to see what he can do. Now, I think what's going to happen is this, is that let's just say Braxton Jones blows training camp out of the water. What you're going to basically see at that point is Jones on the left side of the offensive line. You know, you'll have your... uh, Left guard, I think, is going to be Cody White here. Your center is going to be Lucas Patrick. Your right guard is going to be Larry Borm. And then your right tackle is going to be Tevin Jenkins. But in the event that doesn't happen, I think Jenkins sticks at right tackle. Borm goes to left tackle. And then you're basically going to have your left guard or your right guard, which could be Cody White here. It's interchangeable. And then Lucas Patrick at center. So you're still going to have a basic hole to fill. And I think, you know, when you look at the roster right now, like there isn't necessarily a top tier starting guard. I mean, you could make the argument that I don't see any of these four rookies starting. I think those are just developmental and depth picks for 2023 and beyond when the real competing window opens. A guy like a Dakota Dozier, Dieter Eisland, Sam Mustafer, I don't really even see them. You know, Lacavius Simmons, he's been a tackle, but he can also play guard. I don't see him necessarily going ahead and seriously competing anyways. So I think, you know, the point I'm making more than anything is just the fact that the Bears could still be on the hunt for a guard, but... Braxton Jones, I wouldn't necessarily rule him out when it comes to week one, but I still think he's got a long way to go in terms of being able to live up to the expectation of being a starter for 17 games. I will add one point after uh, doing some further research. I didn't realize Larry Borm is actually shorter than Braxton Jones. I thought Larry Borm was big. I mean, he's big. like he's a, He's a beefy dude. I think he was like 355 before he even like got the combine, but he dropped some weight uh, to even out a bit. But um, Braxton Jones does have more more length than him, more size. So I honestly, though, I, I still don't see it. If Braxton Jones is like picks up quickly and learns the offense again, we have two tackles that both again, Borm has more NFL experience, but he doesn't know the scheme at all. So these guys are both coming in with essentially no ties to the previous coaches. Actually, Braxton probably might have the upper hand in terms of that he was drafted by this current staff. Larry Borm is just kind of inherited by the staff. So 
if Braxton Jones impresses and he learns his offense quickly and he improves on the things that he needs to improve on to become a starter in this league, he could be. But again, like like I said to end it, it's really, really hard to sell your team on a fifth round rookie starting a left tackle week one, protecting your greatest asset in Justin Field. It's just impossible to sell. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things where, again, you know, opening up week one and whoever the Bears are going to play in week one, it's not going to be the most ideal situation on the planet. But, you know, again, I think the overall and arching theme with this Bears team going into 2022 is that you're watching for a couple things. You're seeing what this team throws at a wall and just seeing what sticks. And you're looking at the development of Justin Fields and how he just improves week to week to week. You know, that's going to be, I think, the overall and arching theme of the season. But getting away from Braxton Jones here, you know, Thursday night NFL schedule release is coming out. We're probably going to be breaking it down here on Fireside Bears. I mean, the Bears are playing the NFC East this year. They're also playing the AFC East. Based on the interconference opponents, they are going to be playing the Houston Texans at Soldier Field for the second time in, I believe, three seasons. But, Joe, give me some of your ideal matchups to watch. What are your best last word matchups outside of, obviously, the divisional games? I was going to say, uh, the obvious one is, I mean, honestly, the away schedule isn't really horrible. There's a lot of toss-ups there. Obviously, the Green Bay, Green Bay team away is going to be hard to beat, but... Um, overall, when you look at their their home schedule, bringing having Buffalo come in here and just probably absolutely destroy us is going to be kind of sad because of how absolutely stacked. It'll be fun to see though; like it should be interesting to see that secondary get a challenge with Stefan Diggs at wide receiver and Josh Allen at quarterback. And I believe they drafted a wide receiver to O two. I believe who was the guy they drafted late that we liked, uh, Khalil Shakir. Um, and then they had Gabe Davis come on at the end of the year too. So. That wide receiver core is very solid. I'm very intrigued to see how they match up against the secondary. Um, in terms of favorable matchups, obviously, we're all going to say the Lions. That's very favorable. Um, but I'm very – I think the best matchup in terms of kind of quote-unquote storyline slash game uh, would be the 49ers and the Texans, uh, specifically the Texans. I mean, they're considered one of the bottom units as well in terms of offensive weapons for Davis Mills. And you have two second-year quarterbacks going out at head-to-head in Chicago, and that could be really fun to watch. And uh, it'd be interesting to see this secondary try and stop these two extremely fast wide receivers. And if obviously they play them near the end of the year, you'll see a healthy John Mechie. But at that point, they'll have John Mechie and Brandon Cooks, a wide receiver. That could be a deadly duo. So it could be a fun matchup for the secondary. Um, and then obviously San Francisco. I mean, if Trey Lance is starting, it's the storyline again. Should the 49ers have taken fields? They passed on him for Lance. Um, and again, trying to stop that offense will not be fun at all, but their defense isn't out of this world by any means. And they had a really competitive game last year, despite how bad the Bears were. And it was a really fun game. Fields probably had one of the best plays we've seen in the in recent years for the Bears when he had that crazy run on a broken play for a touchdown. So I'd be very interested to see those two specifically. Um, and then obviously, I mean, I don't know if you're going to talk about it. You said, so I don't want to steal, but Mac Jones playing against another second year player, a lot of second year quarterbacks here. Um, and, and Zach Wilson literally playing every single one except Trevor Lawrence, right? They play the Jaguars this year? No. So literally every second-year quarterback but Trevor Lawrence. So it should be fun for Fields for those, you know, the storylines. Yeah, I mean, you know, storylines are great and all, but I just think when you look at the product the Bears are going to put out onto the field, I think with 
good coaching because I'm a firm believer that really good coaching can take an average or an above average roster and make that roster look great. I think when you look at the Bears schedule, ultimately, I mean, there are a couple games on here you're going to want to circle. I'm not going to talk much about the divisional games because we know what the expectations are. But I do think that when you look at the Lions games as well as the Vikings game, I mean, there's already beef on Twitter, by the way, about what the Bears are going to do against the Lions. The Minnesota game is going to be interesting because, again, you know, Luke Getze is not directly tied to Kevin O'Connell, the new Vikings head coach, but there is some commonalities there specifically because Matt LaFleur worked under Sean McVay with the Rams and then LaFleur left for Tennessee for a year, then ended up in Green Bay as a head coach. And again, Luke Getze basically came up under Matt LaFleur. So there is kind of that indirect link there to Kevin O'Connell. We don't know what the Vikings offense is going to look like. But, you know, Detroit's a team I'm certainly interested to watch. I know Bears fans say, well, it's just the Lions. But ultimately, I mean, if we're going to be honest with ourselves about something, guys, is just the fact that, you know, Jamison Williams, I think, is going to be a really intriguing guy. The Lions had a solid draft. Whether you want to admit it or not, they had a solid draft last year. They played hard for Dan Campbell. This year, though, it's going to be very, very fun to see what they do, even though Jared Goff is still their quarterback. Because, again, a quarterback either elevates your roster, takes it to the next level on your team, or absolutely holds them back. You look at some of the home games here, I mean, that Philadelphia game is one that I think I'm going to watch because the Eagles just trade for A.J. Brown. And I think when you look at them, it's going to be a great test for the Bears secondary. Look at Washington. It's a team that, okay, has had a solid defense, did lose something on offense. They're pretty much restarting at the quarterback position. So, with the Washington Commanders, I think what you're going to see more than anything is pretty much just a team that's going to be competitive because that's what Ron Rivera does. He, his teams always compete, but not necessarily good enough. You know, the San Francisco game, I mean, you already touched on. It's going to be intriguing to watch just these two guys go at it head-to-head. Obviously, Lance versus Fields, which I think in 2021 – when the 49ers drafted Lance and the Bears drafted Fields, I thought that that had the possibility to be the, you know, next big NFC quarterback rivalry for the next 15 years. And then obviously you're looking at the Bills in Miami. You know, those Buffalo is not going to be an easy game. Miami, I think, is a complete toss up, but it's still going to be a really good test. For the Bears secondaries, I don't necessarily think that Miami's offense is going to be crazy dynamic. I mean, I should say, well, I shouldn't say that. I should say this is that the Dolphins offense is going to be how dynamic it is. It's going to be predicated on how to attack a ball plays. I think we can all agree on that. But I also think that them getting Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle is a great test for the defense you obviously look at the Houston Texans I mean that's the Lovey Smith reunion right there it would actually be I think the second time since getting fired by the Bears that Lovey Smith's going to be back in Soldier Field as a head coach and then you go out of the away games you know Dallas is going to be a tough team you look at the New York Giants I mean they're a complete toss-up I think that's one of the few games the Bears can win Atlanta I'm not a believer in Marcus Mariota at all the Patriots they're always going to be a really well-coached team and then you look at the New York Jets right here I will say this about the Jets I think that Zach Wilson is going to have his struggles in year two, but, and I wasn't crazy high on Zach Wilson either, by the way, but I do think that when you look at Zach Wilson overall, 
it's like you mentioned, you phrased it perfectly. The tools are there for him to succeed. It's just, can he put the pieces to the puzzle together? Yeah, I think he put it well. I mean, there's depending, like, like you said, with the coaching, the coaching could totally elevate this team. And again, I'm, I'm more of a glass half full type of guy. If this coaching is well, that this is easily, you could probably talk about eight games that are easy wins here. Like it's crazy. That is the schedule's weak. And the Bears aren't traveling much. I know somebody put out a report of uh, which teams travel the most. The Seahawks traveling a, a stupid, crazy mile. The Steelers are traveling like a total of a thousand miles. But the Bears aren't traveling much, and that when they are traveling, they're not traveling super far. But the teams that they're facing are all, for the most part, obviously outside of a few. Like most of them, you can make the case that the Bears can beat them if they have good coaching. And, and if if people expect Fields to take the step that that he takes, say he is like a top a top quarterback this year. This is a good Bears team. You're talking about a guy who's potentially a top 10 quarterback this year in Justin Fields with this defense. That's going to be a damn tough team to stop. And again, that's the glass half full side of me. The glass half empty is we have basically no offensive line and not a lot of weapons, a wide receiver and a first year offensive coordinator who has never called plays in a long time. I don't think he has called plays before, except for like maybe like high school or something. Like he, again, this is a totally total wide range of outcomes with this offense. But overall, I like the schedule. I think there's a lot of good tests there, and I think there's a lot of good games that we can win to make the team kind of competitive and interesting this year. And a lot of decent matches for fields that could help them play pretty well and help them get some confidence. Like if we start the year with the Giants in New York, I'd love that. Fields going against the Giants where they just cut their arguably their only good player on defense in James Bradbury. Give me that all day. Easily. Yeah, I want to mention the away games here because when you look at the 2021 schedule, I mean, the Bears obviously open up the season by traveling to the West Coast to take on the LA Rams. You know, you look at the last year, you know, the Bears were on the West Coast a couple times. They had to travel to LA to take on the Rams. They had to travel to Vegas to take on the Raiders. Then they were down on the East Coast to taking on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, obviously Pittsburgh was one of those games in there. And then they were on the West Coast again, taking on the Seattle Seahawks. But this year, really, when you look at a lot of the away games, I mean, the farthest West, I believe, the Bears are even going to be traveling would be geographically, I think, Dallas. And again, I bring that up specifically because New York, Atlanta, the Patriots, the Jets, those are obviously on the East Coast, you know. Um, and then you have a lot of the other teams such as, I mean, the farthest team from the West that's coming into Chicago from the West Coast is going to be the 49ers. But the point is the Bears don't have that West Coast game this year. So I think that should do well in terms of scheduling and timing. You're going to see a lot of 12s. I could see, you know, there's going to be that annual Sunday night game too, by the way. And then I could certainly see just for storylines and headlines, possibly the Bears and Jets or Patriots on Sunday night football just to bring in ratings. And then I honestly would not be surprised at all to see the Bears taking on the 49ers on a Sunday or Monday night game. I would even argue this is that you're going to see, I think, two Monday night games for the Bears this year. One's going to be a home game against the Eagles just because the NFL loves to put the Bears and Eagles on prime time sometimes, especially when the matchup is here in Chicago. So last time that happened was 2016. And then I would say the other away Monday night game you're going to see is possibly 
the Bears in Dallas or taking on the Giants or the Patriots, I would say. Even the Jets is a dark horse because the Bears and Jets have played on Monday night before early in the season. Yeah, I'm interested to see how many primetime games we get with how horrendous we were this year. So I like your points, though, that we could the Jets. I don't think the Jets will bring ratings just because the Jets have a bitter taste in a lot of people's mouths, no matter how much talent they've added. Um, everyone knows they suck over and over. And how bad the Bears are, I can see them. I can see the Patriots just because, you know, it's Bill Belichick. He draws ratings alone. Um, possibly Green Bay as well or like a Minnesota just because divisional opponents. So interested to see how many primetime games they get. Hopefully like none. I'd hate the I'd hate the national media and national fans have to watch us for an entire game on a Monday night or Sunday night. That would suck for them. I mean, last point I'm gonna make here before we move on, I will say this is that I think you're gonna see the annual Thanksgiving game just to draw in ratings. And then obviously Green Bay and Minnesota I think you can schedule that in for two primetime games. I mean, the Bears block Jeff Hughes, who a lot of people love, but also a lot of people hate. This is one of the things he said well, is that, look, there's only really three teams in the NFL. You have the Bears, Steelers, and the Dallas Cowboys that significantly are going to go ahead and move ratings just because those three teams, not only are they iconic NFL franchises, but they've got really diehard fan bases too. But moving on from the schedule here, Joe, I mean, listen, OTAs are starting up in about six or seven days here. What are you watching as we begin to wrap this thing up? Because the entire Bears roster is going to be back at Hallis Hall. And I think there's going to be three or four periods of OTAs. There should be a mini camp in June before we take that summer break. Yeah, obviously for starters, the main thing is looking to see who are the initial starters at right guard now that we've added Zach Thomas. Um, I don't think Zach Thomas initially gets the reps. I don't want to see Sam Muster even near the first team. It should be Dakota uh, Dozier until Zach Thomas is able to take over. Um, but regardless, there's a lot of things. I mean, will Kyler Gordon be given the starting cornerback spot immediately or does he have to earn, does he have to earn it? Um, same thing with Jaquan Brisker for safety. There's there's a lot of questions there. Interesting to see how the inside linebacker core is lined up. Um, I I've heard things that people think that Roquan should be the mic. I don't. I think the mic doesn't really use his range well. I think it's kind of pointless to keep Roquan at mic when his job is basically just to to get get into these gaps and stop the run. Um, I think that I'd be curious to see how they're going to line it up. If they're more on him on the outside with somebody else in the middle, not sure. Um, and then defensive line. What are they going to do there? There's just so many questions. Like, who is going to be the starter at so many positions? Who who does who does basically um, Eberflus and Gesky rate higher than possibly Nagy and um, Desai rated high? If that makes sense. So like maybe maybe for some reason, um, well Nagy was obviously pretty high on Mustafa. He had him starting last year. Hopefully Gesky is low as heck on him, and he hasn't not even touching the first team or. Maybe um, maybe Eberflus has basically no love at all for DeAndre Houston Carson and won't have him even getting a chance to start at all, even with a rookie to battle for it. Or maybe maybe he's higher on Duke Shelley. You just never know. It's just how will they rate these players according to and where are they going to put these players? Like who's going to be in the slot corner? There's just so many questions around like how they're going to evaluate this current roster and how they see current players and where they're best suited compared to how the previous regime did. And obviously with no attachment to these players that were already here, are they going to treat them differently? Are they going to give them the starting job immediately? It's just a, a lot of questions will be answered at OTAs. Yeah, I want to say this, you know, great analysis there, but I think the biggest thing that I'm just watching for is 
and you kind of alluded to this specifically talking about right guard, but just what are the offensive line combinations look like? Because these OTAs, these mini camps that are coming up, these provide you the opportunity to extensively experiment because I don't want this team to go into training camp and basically be experimenting with three or four different OL combinations. Now that doesn't mean that the end of July rolls around, which is typically when the bears report to training camp. As I look at the schedule here, I mean, the week of July 25th is a Monday, so I would anticipate the Bears begin reporting the 28th or the 29th just because those are roughly the dates. With the first preseason game being probably Friday, well, yeah, Thursday, August 4th, I think is going to be the Hall of Fame game. But I would say Saturday the 6th or Sunday the 7th or even the 12th and 13th. One of those two weeks is going to be the um, week one of the preseason. But anyway, the point I'm making more so is that I don't want this team to go into training camp with like 20 different OL combinations, but that shouldn't exclude them from also experimenting to see kind of what works best. It's just you can't be doing what Matt Nagy did and basically shuffling the OL and the receivers every other day. And then ultimately, I do want to say this as well. Um, one of the big things I'm watching for is just what's the linebacker situation? I think that the Bears this offseason, and this is more exclusive to the entire defense, which includes the linebackers, obviously, is just that when you look at the linebackers, kind of what happened is this, is that there was a lot of turnover this year. Danny Trevathan, gone. The Bears, Nick Kwiatkowski has not been on the roster in a couple of years now, and you've seen kind of that lack of depth really show up at times. You look at the defensive line, I mean, it was a transition year for the Bears on defense this year, because Khalil Mack gone. Akeem Hicks gets basically not retained. Eddie Goldman gets cut. Bilal Nichols not coming back, obviously. So what we saw this offseason were a lot of these core players basically not coming back to the Bears. And I think that when you look at Chicago overall as a team, I mean, there's going to be times this defense is going to struggle, but it's going to be about figuring out what the key pieces are. So a player like a Nicholas Morrow, I'm really interested to see just what he can do if he is given that starting micro. I don't anticipate the Sam necessarily being a major part of this defense because I do think the Bears are going to be using a lot of nickel and dime looks and then the last thing I will say is this is that I want to see what the Bears are doing in terms of their coverages because if you were to talk to me prior to the draft with no Kyler Gordon or Jaquan Brisker on the roster and especially Brisker I would have told you that to expect the Bears to run a lot of zone this year that's predicated on the heels of Eddie Jackson playing a lot of cover one but now I think what's happening is this is that because of the presence of a guy like Jaquan Brisker you're going to see cover one at times with Brisker playing up in the box because that's just how versatile and physical he is. But then also you're going to see a lot more cover two looks when you have Jackson and Brisker both dropping back into coverage, which then effectively makes things easier on Gordon and Jalen Johnson. Yeah, I'm, you kind of hit on it well. There's so many questions around this defense, how how it's going to be aligned, how we're going to see people moving around. I like the point that you brought up. They're basically going to be a nickel or a dime the entire time. It really doesn't matter who is playing where in terms of linebacker. But I think the obvious thing will be that Nick Morrow and Roquan should be the two linebackers when we're in nickel. <clears throat> Sorry. I think both their coverage skills are both very solid. I think Morrow showed a lot of promise there before he got injured and before he was missing a lot of time. But 
I'm interested again. There's a lot of questions surrounding it. The OTAs are kind of going to show. I, I like your point about the offensive line too. I really hope they don't just stick one offensive line group out there and say, you know what, you guys are it. I hope there's rotating guys in, getting different combinations, figuring out what meshes well together and figuring out what group will be the best in terms of the scheme and in terms of who works well together, communicates best, all that good stuff. All right, so let's go ahead and wrap this thing up here. But, you know, give me your undrafted free agents watch because I think the Bears got a more solid UDFA haul than a lot of people are willing to admit. But who do you have for us? Yeah, I'll, I'll say to start, there really isn't like a guy in this class that the past few years the Bears have had a guy who are like, wow, he's a steal, like whether it's help Bears get Alex Bars or when the Bears got Roy Robertson Harris, for example. But um, you're going to talk about my favorite guy. I'm going to talk about my second favorite guy. Um, I absolutely love uh, Jean DeLance from Florida. Uh, he was a three-year starter at right tackle. I, I did a, a short thread on him on Twitter as well. Um, he's a three-year starter at right tackle for Florida and the SEC. He's an academic All-American. He's He's been very solid for essentially all three years now, and he's just mean. And and just outside of being mean, he has incredible physical traits. I know uh, his RAS wasn't great for a tackle. I really don't think he's built for a tackle, personally. I, he, he's only like 6'4" and he's barely 6'4", and he's kind of beefier. He's not really, like, mobile. So I think he's more built for guard, and when they when they did his RAS for guard, he scored an 8.37. He had a very solid score in terms of his 40, his 20, and his 10 split. Uh, his shuttle, vertical, and broad were all good. His, his weight and his bench still were a little low, but, again, you can put on some weight. And, and the one thing that was, like, crazy about him is if he would have been at the NFL Combine this year – he would have had the longest arms of or the longest wingspan of any player there. Tackle, guard, whatever position. He had a wingspan of 86 and a half inches. And with that, paired with his already pretty solid athletic traits and his absolute just bully attitude at the offensive line, he could develop into a solid right guard. And he could at least develop into like a swing tackle, like a basically what an Alex Bars was for the Bears, who just rotates anywhere that needs a hole and fills it. Um again, it's, it's if this class wasn't so like deep with COVID players and such, this guy gets drafted in the sixth or seventh round and just due to size and stuff alone. But the fact that he also has three years of starting experience already from Florida, very impressive. And I, I hope he, he started as a right tackle for the rookie camp. Again, it's kind of hard. They probably wanted to get him with the, with the first team rookies, quote unquote. Um, but they had Zach Thomas at right guard already. So they probably just didn't want to put him there, but they probably just want him on, like I said, the first team. So, I don't know if, if he if he slots into guard, he could definitely be like a possible like Cody Whitehair like successor. Again, there's a lot of guys they got at the offensive line that showed a lot of promise. So he's gonna be fighting with a lot of solid dudes who all were late round picks. So we'll see. But I liked him a lot. I, I thought he showed pretty impressive tape from his time at Florida. Yeah, he's one of those players that I think just seemingly got so lost in the shuffle because so much of the talk this offseason regarding the offensive line obviously was just predicated on a lot of the players that did have first, second, and third round grades. And so now ultimately when you look at it, I think that Delance is a player, okay, people don't know him right now, but I think that people will know him soon enough. Now for me, that guy, the UDFA that I'm going to keep an eye on is actually Jack Sanborn, linebacker from Wisconsin. Obviously, you know, you look at him, 
He's a local guy, number one. But then number two, the big thing is that he's about six foot two, two thirty-five, has I think thirty-one inch arms. So I think when you just watch Jack Sanborn overall, what you see is that the Wisconsin linebackers, they had a couple this year. I think it was Troy Anderson, Leo Chanel, you know, Sanborn's one of the ones that kind of got lost in the mix. But at the college level, hey, he was a fast, freaky physical player. Is he crazy fast for what you see out of off-ball linebackers in the NFL. No, I mean, he ran a 4-7, 40-yard dash. But I think with what you see is this, is that he's got pretty okay athleticism. It's not going to blow anyone off the charts. Length, not the best in the NFL either. But ultimately, what I think you have to like about Sanborn is that he reminds me a lot of Nick Kwiatkowski, just in the sense that he is physical. He is able to go ahead and, you know, blitz. He's able to get after it in the running game. And then obviously he's got pretty decent read and react speed and instincts too. And he's always willing to go ahead and absorb that contact. And then just his physical mindset overall. So when I look at Sanborn overall, I think what you're getting is a player that is he going to go ahead and blow anyone away? No, but he is a good enough player to the point where I think Matt Eberflus in this defensive scheme is going to figure out a way to significantly make him fit and actually I think end up being a pretty solid linebacker. I'm not saying he's ever going to be a starter who's going to blow you away, but as a rotational guy, guess what? The Bears got a lot of really good production out of a player like Nick Wikowski, and I would not be surprised to see Sanborn have kind of the same impact because he was, again, highly productive at Wisconsin in the Big Ten. And I think that, you know, at the NFL level, like I said, if he's like a Nick Wikowski, all over again because Nick Kwiatkowski did impress his rookie season. That solves a lot of your depth issues right there at linebacker. Yeah, you hit on it again. Sanborn is my favorite UDFA. I wanted the Bears to draft him, regardless in the sixth or seventh round. I uh, he's the best way to put it is he's just a very all around sound everything athlete, player, linebacker, everything. He had a very he has solid relative athletic score. He's a solid athlete. He's a very solid and technically sound linebacker, and he's also bringing some toughness to the game. I mean, he he isn't afraid to put his to put his face mask his face mask into somebody and drive them to the ground, and he'll fill gaps like crazy. And his his motor is very solid. He, again, he's not gonna outmuscle anybody. He's not gonna be a freak athlete like his counterpart Leo Chanel, but he's a solid guy. Like you said, Nick Kwiatkowski. He's just gonna he could be a guy who's. He could possibly start as a third linebacker. Like they really, it's an open competition for that third linebacker position. Again, not a ton of snaps because we're going to be in nickel and dime a lot. But he could be a rotational guy. He could see some playing time significantly. And I guarantee he's the type of guy who is going to play on special teams. He's going to want to get on the field, and he should be able to make this fifty-three man roster. Yeah, you know, last point I'm going to make here regarding some of these undrafted agents before we wrap it up. And, you know, we'll have more extensive UDFA talk just throughout the summer as well. So you guys can kind of get familiar with a lot of the bottom of the barrel roster guys. But Charles Stone was a UDFA last year. And I thought Charles Stone showed a bit of flashes when he did get the chance to play. So, you know, I think that two names on the defensive side of the ball to watch, a UDFA last year and Charles Snowden in 2021, and undrafted free agent this year, Jack Sanborn. If the Bears can get some development out of those guys and those guys can show flashes, I think 
when we're sitting here in 2023, you're going to have players that could be starting or even just top-tier rotational guys that you didn't necessarily think were going to be starting this time next year or even in 2021. Yeah, I think the most important part for the Bears is they, we've, we've talked about it before, developing your undrafted frisions, developing your late-round picks. And again, f- full are not fields. Um, Pace was very good at finding late-round picks. They just weren't developed properly. And some of them were, like Darnell Mooney, but some weren't. And if we find these late-round picks and some of them become good, that's how the Patriots have made the living for years. I mean, their best offensive lineman, I believe, was the sixth-round pick just a few years ago. So Bears got to be doing it too. Anyways, we're going to go ahead and get out of this thing. Make sure you're following myself and Joe on Twitter at Hussein at Joseph Irv NFL. Follow Fireside Bears on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram at Fireside Bears. I promise the more fancy intros are going to return next week. We have no idea when Sam's going to be back because his lacrosse team could go ahead and advance really far into the NCAA tournament. But best of luck to you guys in Cleveland, Sam. We're certainly reading rooting for you we're reading for you we're rooting for you yeah, lots of tongue twisters today because yeah i need more caffeine but anyways guys bear down peace out stay safe it's here in the chicagoland area be sure you're hydrating because it's 90 degrees stay cold i guess can't say stay warm anymore but bear down we'll see you guys next week bear down <laughs>